If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. You know, as these uh, lockdowns and social distancing measures uh, stretch out, not exactly sure when we're going to be out of all of this, it can be easy to fall into that trap of thinking that, you know, public health and economic health are, are at odds and we have to pick one over the other. But I think that's the wrong way to look at it, that public health and economic health really do go hand in hand. And it's important to underscore that as we stick to these measures, that the better job we can do in suppressing this outbreak, uh, the, the flatter the curve, the, the better position we are to, to come out of this. And, and I think that's the way we need to look at it. That what we're doing right now, we're doing to help the economy, that it's the pandemic itself, not the public health measures that are hurting the economy. And there's some really important and interesting uh, new research that helps illustrate that. Joining us to talk more about it, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Emil Werner. He's an assistant professor of finance at MIT Sloan School of Management, one of the authors of this report. Professor Werner, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. Great to be with you. I wonder if you could elaborate on that point, too, and, and why this research, I, I think, is so important in shaping the conversation right now, that perception that, that public health and economic health are, are somehow at odds. Right. Well, right now in the discussion on this social distancing measures that we're seeing all around the world, there is this uh, sense that uh, there's a trade-off that we face between um, saving our public health on the one hand and saving our economy on the other hand. Um, and I think that trade-off is based on uh, sort of a reasonable or natural intuition that's actually incorrect. Um, and the intuition is that if we didn't have these social distancing measures, then the economy would just move along as normal. Um, but what we find in our research, which is based on the experience in the U.S. during the 1918 flu pandemic, is that during a pandemic, you're not going to have a normal economy. The pandemic itself is going to be very destructive uh, for the economy. Uh, and therefore, any kind of policies you can use to actually mitigate the severity of the pandemic are ultimately going to be good for the economy uh, as well. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, to put it in starker terms, I mean, you, you look at hard hit areas like, say, New York or Madrid or northern Italy, you know, the idea of things just being normal? Would, would anybody fly to, to one of these cities for a vacation right now? Would anyone go to a restaurant or a public event uh, or get on the subway in one of these communities? It's hard to imagine how in the throes of a pandemic that, that things could, could possibly be normal. Right. That, that's exactly right. I mean, people's natural, you know, rational response to a pandemic and to the risk of getting sick is to stop going out as much, to cut back on their spending, um, to avoid, you know, any kind of activity uh, that involves interacting with other people or being around other people, like going to restaurants. Um, and so that's going to be bad for the economy 
in itself. And businesses uh, at the same time, local businesses, are also uh, kind of reacting to this rational response uh, by, by individuals um, and cutting back on their investments uh, on, on, on kind of activity that they're planning to do. So we wouldn't have a normal economy uh, or we're, we're not going to have a normal economy during a full-blown pandemic. And that's why it's so important to prevent uh, the pandemic from getting out of control. Obviously, this this all seems very unprecedented, uh, and, and none of us have had to go through this in our lifetimes. But we, we can go back and we can look at 1918, and I guess the pandemic that stretched into 1919, uh, for for some understanding of you know how how communities fared because there were a lot of social distancing measures, or that's what we call them now, that were implemented at, at the time. So tell us a bit more about you know kind of the lessons we can draw from those communities a hundred years ago that that got it right versus those that didn't. Right. Well, in our research, what we looked at is uh, 43 cities in the United States that actually differed uh, quite a lot in the aggressiveness and timeliness with which they implemented these what we call non-pharmaceutical interventions. So these are measures like social distancing, but also kind of standard hygiene measures. And what's really interesting is that actually the responses uh, that, you know, uh, U.S. cities implemented in 1918 are really similar to the responses that we're seeing today. So back then they were closing schools, churches, banning public gatherings, trying to isolate and quarantine uh, suspected cases. Um, and that's, you know, very much the same set of, of policy tools that we have today, even though, you know, modern medicine has come a long way. Uh, we still have to uh, resort to some of these non-pharmaceutical interventions uh, back then. What's really interesting is, we read a lot of old newspapers uh, to try to understand uh, the situation on the ground at the time. And when we were reading these newspapers, sometimes we wondered to ourselves, is this being written about today or is this about 1918? So there, there are a lot of parallels that we can learn from. Um, there are. And obviously, I mean, it was, a, it was a different virus. It was a different time. But there, there are a lot of parallels and a lot of similarities. And at least in terms of the context of 1918 and 1919, you're able to see which cities fared better than others. And as you say, there was maybe kind of a patchwork of these different measures. So what did you find then in terms of the cities that, that took steps initially and how they fared economically coming out of the pandemic? Well, what we did is we looked at uh, cities like, for example, Philadelphia, um, that were quite slow to implement these non-pharmaceutical interventions like social distancing, and that also had them in place for a short amount of time. So Philadelphia had these social distancing measures in place for 51 days, compared to the average of 88 days uh, across uh, all major cities in the U.S. Cities like Philadelphia saw above-average mortality, um, so the number on that is 900 deaths from uh, the flu per 100,000 inhabitants. And cities like Philadelphia also saw a relatively weak economy after 1918. So they come out of the pandemic uh, relatively weaker. On the other hand, a city like Cleveland uh, in the next state over in Ohio uh, had much timelier and more aggressive uh, social distancing measures. They had their social distancing in place for 99 days uh, and they reacted about 10 days faster, which uh, means a lot in a pandemic uh, that's evolving very quickly. Cleveland and other cities like Cleveland saw lower mortality. So Cleveland's mortality uh, was about 33% lower than Philadelphia's. And actually, we find no evidence that 
Cleveland's economy and cities like Cleveland uh, fared worse in the year after the pandemic. If anything, the cities that acted more aggressively during the pandemic actually come out stronger economically uh, in the, the year after the pandemic in 1919. And I suppose, it, it, I mean, it maybe seems obvious on the face, but I think it's important to understand this, right? Because, uh, you know, as, as much as you can mitigate it uh, to, to keep things in check and then to come out of it sooner, I mean, it speaks to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, where people are, are comfortable resuming a sense of normalcy. You can't just impose a sense of normalcy on, on people. There needs to be that level of comfort. So the, the cities that take the steps to keep these, these outbreaks in check, that's where you, you see that return to normalcy, or you can see it more quickly. That's exactly right. People, as we were talking about earlier, people are only going to resume normal economic activity and and the economy is only going to return to normal when people uh, feel like it's safe to actually go about their their daily lives in in kind of the ordinary fashion. And so the cities that are able to act uh, aggressively uh, to flatten the curve, to reduce cumulative mortality by preventing what epidemiologists call epidemic overshoot, those are also the cities um, where people are going to feel that it's safer to resume uh, economic activity after the pandemic. And of course, these are also just the cities where the population coming out of the pandemic is going to be healthier um, and, 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 and less you know, affected just in terms of, of health terms uh, from, from the pandemic. And that was especially important in 1918 because the 1918 flu was just so severe and so deadly. Um, I still think it applies today, even though the coronavirus does not appear to be quite uh, as deadly uh, as that pandemic was. Right. And yeah, hopefully we won't see anything like uh, the death toll from that pandemic. But th- th- there are still implications here, obviously, in terms of, of policy decisions. So how, how should research like this then, how should that shape the decisions we have to make here in, in the short term? Well, I think the main point is to say that, you know, there isn't necessarily and there likely is not this kind of trade-off between public health and between the economy where we have to sit down and do sort of gruesome calculations about weighing you know the economic value of life versus weighing uh, the economy instead we should really be thinking about you know defeating the virus uh, 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 in the short term so that we can resume uh, normal uh, activity in the long term but that's the only way that we're going to have a healthy economy coming out of it. And so our main policies should really be targeted at anything we can do to directly mitigate the severity of, of the pandemic. All right, some very, very important points. Uh, Emil Werner, we'll leave it there. Really appreciate making some time for us here today. Thanks so much for this. Thanks a lot for having me. Take care. All right, take care. Uh, that is Emil Werner. He is uh, assistant professor of uh, finance at MIT Sloan School of Management, uh, one of the authors uh, of this study, making the point that it's the pandemic that causes the economic disruption, not the public health measures. And, you know, maybe, you know, to some extent that the ship has sailed a little bit here in terms of what decisions we're going to make. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we need to make these, these decisions, these calculations a few weeks ago. But at the same time, if we feel as though we need to take some stricter measures now, then it's best to do it now. And I know we're trying to balance what the implications of all of that will be. But if the goal is to get things under control and get past the worst of it sooner and ensure that that, that the peak is much lower than maybe it otherwise would have been, that there's an economic incentive to do that. 
because the more you can keep the outbreak in check, the quicker you can come out of it, the better off economically you're going to be. And so these findings are really quite fascinating because it's easy enough to go back and look what various cities did. And a lot of it was at the municipal level 100 years ago in terms of banning public gatherings, canceling school and that sort of thing. You can see which uh, cities did it, which didn't. You can look back and see when they decided to do it. And the ones that did it sooner, the ones that did it more emphatically, tended to be much better off economically coming out of it. So I think there's some, some important considerations there as we make these public health decisions in the short term, with the goal of a return to economic health in the medium and longer term. 974-8255 is our number here, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.